David is one of the grand characters of the Bible, going from a shepherd boy to the king of Israel. And David cast a shadow of the coming greater David. His name is Jesus. He was addressed as the son of David. And as we watch David's life in the book of 2 Samuel, we'll get a little more of an insight into the kingdom of God and the great King Jesus. It's not always a perfect foreshadowing, but it's an interesting study in the life of David. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. The big theme as we move into 2 Samuel is the kingdom of God. And I want to start us off by going to Luke 11. This is the famous Lord's Prayer. I just want to pick out one segment of the prayer. If you don't mind, if you're physically able, stand to your feet. If you're physically able, Luke 11 is what we're going to read. I'd like us to read this together. Many of you have memorized this, but um, I don't have it up on the screen. But uh, this is Luke 11, verse 2. Luke 11, verse 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard, but whatever your version is, it'll be close enough. Luke 11, verse 2. Let's read it together. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now we know Matthew's version says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can have a seat. So, thy kingdom come. When the... uh, Disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, one of the central themes, and you can see it behind me, is the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come. Adding what Matthew put, thy will be done. By the way, this is not a generic prayer that you just, you just pray to pray, like from rote. This is a prayer that Jesus asked you to pray, listen, for you. You should be praying for you Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Everybody with me? Because we can pray that generally and we can say, and and there's a general application to it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From the big picture perspective. But when we say, Lord, teach me to pray, I'm, I'm praying your kingdom come, your will be done where? In my life. In in other words, if the will of God is going to be done, where where is it gonna happen? Who is actually going to perform the will of God? The people of God. You know, when we pray prayers, we should think about the content and the substance. You know, if if you for the next week just prayed this segment of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, would your week change? You know, the kingdom of God, the major theme of the kingdom of God is really about how you live your life and by what lens you look at life, through which filter you look at life. What is your worldview? How do you see tragedy? How do you see death? How do you make sense of the problem of evil? You know, sometimes I hear people, and and I'm sure they have good intentions in mind, but they say something like this, our thoughts are with you. Well, that's wonderful, and in, and in one sense, I appreciate that, that you're thinking of me, but your thoughts have very little power to change my circumstances. 
Our thoughts are with you. I know what people are saying, and, and I suppose that someone who doesn't have faith in the Lord, that's about all they can say. And, it's, and it may be good to say, we're thinking of you, but look, I would rather hear that you're praying for me. Amen? Because we believe that there's power in prayer. Now, we can't make sense of everything that happens in this world. We live in a fallen world. But we know that God will even exploit these kinds of circumstances for his good purposes. And it will go to the building up of his kingdom. His kingdom is much bigger than this place that we live right here. So as we move into 2 Samuel this morning, and we're going to look at David's uh, lament over Saul and Jonathan. This is 2 Samuel chapter 1. As we, we stopped uh, right before we got into the lament, and the lament is really putting grief into words, I have some questions about just why David responds this way and why you respond to life the way you do. Why do you bother to pray for somebody in the hospital? Why would, why would we pray for people who have been devastated by a hurricane unless we believe it has some sort of power? Some sort of implications come from praying. And some people say, well, does it really? There was a political article that came out really mocking people who were giving any kind of credit to God. Some of you saw it. It was a spoof. It was a cartoon put out by Politico that basically says, thank you, God, for sending help. And, and the cartoonist basically says, no, it's the government that helped you. Oh, okay. So really trying to make people who pray look like idiots, just to be quite candid with you. There's a move in our society right now to make faith and people of faith look like idiots. However, it's quite interesting that the people who live in this country have benefited from idiots, sorry, people who founded the country on biblical values, who believed in the God of the Bible, who were praying at the founding of the nation. They were imperfect people. We all know that. They had their issues. We all know that. But they wrote founding documents based upon biblical truth and the God of the Bible. And the people who have benefited from this form of government have benefited from it because it was inspired by the Bible. So people say, well, there were a lot of deists in that group. There was a small number of deists in that group. Most of them were Bible-believing Christians. A lot of them had trained for the ministry. That was the founding of our country. Imperfect, yes. Flawed, yes. Who is not? Had issues, yes. But believed that the United States needed to be founded on biblical truth. This is, this is the war we're in. I'm sure you've probably noticed we have a conflict of kingdoms. Have you noticed? If you haven't noticed, you need to just put it in your mind right now. There is a conflict of kingdoms. Whose worldview is going to really rule you or rule the day? We have our young people streaming onto college campuses right now. Whose worldview are they getting on a typical college campus? Let me ask you. Whose worldview? What kingdom are they being taught about? For the most part, it's not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of this world. And when I say the kingdom of this world, I'm talking about the world system and the world's values, which really comes down to humanism 
If you want to just simply have a definition of humanism, humanism is about humans. It's man at the center of everything. God gets demoted and man gets elevated. And when man gets elevated and God gets demoted, you have the kingdom of man and not the kingdom of God. As Augustine wrote, you have the city of man and the city of God and you have to decide which kingdom you're going to live for and which king you're going to serve. Look at human history. How have the kings of the world done? How about presidents? You know, go down the line of presidents just in your lifetime. Some of you are more seasoned than others. We'll use the word seasoned. <laughs> so we've watched, you know, some of us have watched quite a few administrations, right? And we might have our favorite presidents. But in the big picture of things, how well does man do? in solving the world's problems, in giving us answers that are going to go beyond the grave. Not so good. So what we need is answers that are bigger. The questions that we all wrestle with is, are they true, though? Are they simply pie-in-the-sky answers? Do, can they hold the day? Can they win the day in, on Mars Hill in Acts 17? In the world place, the market of ideas? Can your Christian worldview actually hold weight in a science class when we're debating origins? And can, can you make an argument for the veracity, the truthfulness of Scripture and why this book is divine rather than human in origin? Can you make a case for the kingdom of God? That's what we need. That's why David really is a type of foreshadowing, even in a small way, of the true king, the coming kingdom. Jesus Christ is the king. The coming kingdom is what you're part of. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Why did David not kill Saul when he had a chance twice? When, he, when Saul was literally served to David on a platter, why did he not kill him? Survival of the fittest? Why, why didn't he... Why didn't he just take Saul's head right there? Because he considered Saul to be God's anointed. Because he did not believe it was his place. But then you say, wait a minute, Pastor Michael, last, last time we were together, David instructed the young men to kill the Amalekite. Oh, that's right. But why? Because it was based upon justice and the standards of God. This man had killed God's anointed. So again, we go back now to worldviews. What kingdom do you serve? What determines your viewpoint, for example, on abortion? Marriage. Let's go down the list. The church right now is having to make some big decisions about whether the winds of culture and the system of the world will decide what you believe or the kingdom of God will. You're going to have to decide that as an individual. You're going to have to decide that as a family. You're going to have to decide where you're going to plant your flag and what kingdom do you actually serve. And by the way, to be a citizen of the United States is not, it's not like a mutually exclusive thing. You can be a good citizen, but know you're part of the kingdom of God. Everybody with me? All right, so we're going to, we're going to move into 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 17, but let's pray one more time. Father, as we... Get now into the Bible. We want to get the Bible deep into us because it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword in our prayer. 
today also as we think about taking the Lord's Supper. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. The church right now is having to make some big decisions about whether the winds of culture and the system of the world will decide what you believe or the kingdom of God will. You're going to have to decide that as an individual. You're going to have to decide that as a family. You're going to have to decide where you're going to plant your flag and what kingdom do you actually serve. And by the way, to be a citizen of the United States is not, it's not like a mutually exclusive thing. You can be a good citizen, but know you're part of the kingdom of God. Everybody with me? All right, so we're going to, we're going to move into 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 17, but let's pray one more time. Father, as we get now into the Bible. We want to get the Bible deep into us because it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword in our prayer today. Also, as we think about taking the Lord's Supper, which we will do at the conclusion of this message, is that we want to be people who are living for the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. And help us, Lord, to see everything through that filter, to look at the world, to look at what happens, to look at life and death and behavior and morals and everything through this lens, Lord. It's really the only thing that makes sense of life. It's really what we long for. The transcendent cause of the kingdom of God, the worship of the king. You've already put it in our hearts. You've put eternity in our hearts, Lord. So help us to be your people, to live out the values of the kingdom until you come for us or we go to be with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's the lament of David. Then David, 2 Samuel 1, 17, chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. They had just died on the battlefield. He told them, verse 18, to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. And then he begins. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? Now, this is the lament, and uh, if you look behind me for a second, this is part two of how the mighty have fallen. And uh, when you look at the world and you look at the kingdom of the world, no matter how great an individual may be, no matter how many years a person gets, no matter how wealthy they become, you know, you could talk about wealth, you could talk about servants, you could talk about property, you can talk about this or that. I'm thinking specifically of Solomon. One of the things that Solomon lamented the most is that every mighty man falls. Time gets to us. The seasons go on. 
and people who once had these incredible positions end up being replaced. They, they die. The world, uh, the world in terms of their experience in it is over and the mighty fall. And so this is the plight of every person. This is the plight of King Saul. He falls. He was uh, the king that everybody asked for. We want to be like the other nations. Give us Saul. His name literally means asked for. They got what they asked for. His name was Saul. Did he do some good things? He certainly did. He won some battles. Uh, there's going to be things here in the lament that uh, David leads the nation through that will honor him. Uh, Matthew Henry says Saul was his father-in-law, that of, that of David. Though he had done him a great deal of wrong, David does not wreak his revenge upon his memory when he is in the grave. But like a good man, a man of honor, he conceals his faults. Let the corrupt part of the man earth to earth, ashes to ashes, let the blemish be hidden and a veil drawn over the deformity, close quote. Leave it there. You know, David could have gone up to a podium and said, hey, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Saul was a major thorn in my side and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> that would have been pretty brutal, right? I mean, David had everything to gain. He had been living in caves, running from a man who had really become psychotic. In fact, Saul had an evil spirit that was harassing him and the only relief that he got from that evil spirit was when, who? David <laughs> played the harp for him. Can you imagine that? Here's a man who wants your demise and you go in and play guitar for him and hope he doesn't throw another spear at you. You want to talk about a tough gig for those of you who are musicians? <laughs> Jesus loves you, this I know. <laughs> Please don't throw another sword spear at me. That's a tough gig. David could have gone to the podium and said a lot of things. You know, but he went up there and he said, oh, look at verse 19. Your beauty, O Israel, your beauty is slain on your high places. What? Your beauty? <laughs> to David, do you think Saul was beautiful? He was ugly. Let's face it. He had flipped out. He had made David's life miserable. And David calls him Beautiful. What? Wait a minute. How does someone get to that point where they can see people that way? I mean, Saul's in the grave now. But has the kingdom of God so impacted your heart that you can see people who are maybe, maybe ugly to a lot of people? Can you see the beauty in them? Can you see beauty in humanity? Can you look a little bit deeper because you belong to a kingdom that looks a little deeper than the surface? Can you say to somebody, you know what? You're beautiful in God's sight. You're a rose in the desert. 
You know, you, you speak beauty into people's lives. How many of you, just take a moment right now, can remember someone who spoke a refreshing word into your life when you were at a low point? Just think for a moment. How long have you lived on that? I can, I can remember right now, people have said refreshing words into my life that have pushed me forward for months and even years. This is, this is what this king is about. And remember, David is a shadowy figure of who? The greater David, his name is Jesus, who sees you right now as what? Beautiful. He is the master potter. You are the clay. How many of you have seen uh, Michael, what's his name again? Mike Roselle, the potter. How many of you have seen the potter demonstration? So he's, uh, he's actually, uh, he does, uh, what do you call the guy? <laughs> he's a potter. Anyway, so he's got, he's got the clay on the wheel. And uh, when you're watching these pottery demonstrations, he's giving you a live illustration of how God is the potter and you are the clay. And he's forming this beautiful clay pot and you can see it taking shape and it's starting to look good. You're like, yeah, yeah this is cool. And then he just, he wrecks it and starts over again. You're like, oh, wow, wow, why? That was looking good. Because God wants to make you into something more beautiful than you can imagine. Even Saul, with all of his faults. I mean, how many of you, when you think of Saul, the first king of Israel, Israel think of positive things? Be honest. If somebody asks you, hey, give me a quick five-minute synopsis on King Saul, first king of Israel, you say, oh, wow. He erred exceedingly and played the fool. Went to the witch at Endor. The medium hooded at night. Died on the battlefield. He was weird, psychotic. An evil spirit terrorized him. The guy was off his saddle, <laughs> whatever you would say. And David says, your beauty? Well, David is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your identity in Jesus Christ is such a huge thing. You belong to a king in a kingdom who sees you differently. You say, but does he really, Pastor Michael? Does he really see me that way? Well, he did choose you to be part of his kingdom for how long? Apparently, he wants to be with you because he chose you to be part of his kingdom. That's pretty cool. So David says, oh, your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. You know, this whole thing about the evil spirit coming into Saul's life is a perplexing one because it says it was an evil spirit from the Lord. How many of you have wrestled with that text? <laughs> if you haven't, you might want to go back and study it because theologians wrestle with it. How could it be an evil spirit from the Lord? What in the world's going on there? Well, who allowed Satan to get a Job? God. Who sent a, a minister of Satan to buffet Paul? God. You mean to say that even Satan in some way gets used by, God's for God, by God for God's purposes? Yeah. 
Can I figure out every angle of that? No. Do I get it all? Nope. Do I ask for it? Nope. <laughs> Here's a question. Why do you think God would have done that in Saul's life? If, if you think positively, do you think that maybe it was God trying to say to Saul, I'm going to let something pretty terrible happen to you spiritually. And I'm going to see, and of course I'm putting this in human terms, I'm going to see if you'll cry out to me. I'm going to see if when this thorn in your flesh comes and spiritual darkness hovers over your life, if you'll cry out to me. What was Saul's biggest problem? Self-exaltation, trying to do things his way. Disobedience to God. He would not follow through on the word of God. He lived in doubt. Paul, who asked for that thorn in the flesh to be taken away, you can write down 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He said the reason it came to his life in the first place was to keep him from exalting himself, which is part of what God does. Now the mighty have fallen. Just think for a second. How many, how many mighty men and women have gone down over the years? I'm talking about moral failures. Significant crossroads where a huge blunder was made. How many mighty men and women have fallen? You know, we hear Christians all the time say, I fell away. What does that mean? It means I'm not following God anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I fell away. How many people do you think are driving out in Corona today that have fallen away? For, for varied reasons. They're, they're out there. They're hurting. There's one, uh, Isaiah 14, turn to your right, Isaiah chapter 14, who is in the fall business. I think we all know who he is. His name is Satan. Chapter 14 of Isaiah. He's in the fall business. What do I mean by that? Genesis chapter 3, theologians call the fall chapter. Why? Because Eve was hanging out by the tree. Satan, through the serpent, beguiled her. Isaiah 14. She partook of the fruit and Adam was there and Adam was like, oh, okay, this sounds like a pretty good plan. <laughs> he partook of the fruit and they fell. How the mighty have fallen. What, what did they lack in the garden? Nothing. But they fell. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.